welcome to the Financial Planning for Canadian Business Owners podcast. You will hear about industry insights with award-winning financial planner and entrepreneur, Jason Pereira. Through the interviews with different experts with their stories and advice, you will learn how you can navigate the challenges of being an entrepreneur, plan for success, and make the most of your business and life. And now, your host, Jason Pereira. Hello, welcome. Today's show, I have Paul Martin, President and COO of KRG Insure. Brought Paul on the show specifically to talk about the property and casualty side of insurance. We've definitely covered life and health on many different occasions on this show, but this is one area where I am not an expert in, and I decided to bring someone else in to talk about what it is you as a business owner need to know. With that, here's my interview with Paul. Paul, thanks for taking time. Yeah, you're welcome, Jason. Thank you for having me. Excellent. So first thing we always have to clarify is you are not the former prime minister, correct? I am not the prime minister. I'm not even junior, junior, but uh, okay, fair I use that to my advantage sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough. So, uh, Paul Martin, of president and CEO of KRG Insure, tell us about what it is you do for a living. Well, I'm a broker. I'm an independent broker, which is completely different than agents or brokers who uh, represent direct writers. So I represent customers for a multitude of insurance companies. My job is to fully understand your business and then go out and seek solutions so I can plug the holes for what keeps you awake at night. Excellent. And as I said in the introduction, uh, you know, we I've covered this is a very different world than what I'm used to. What I'm used to is the life and health side. You know, someone passes away, someone gets disabled, critically ill. There's only a handful of products there and a handful of kind of vectors, right? Like at the end of the day, <laughs> you can't work because your back's broken. You can't work because your back's broken. If you're dead, you're dead. Right? <laughs> like it's pretty straightforward. There's a lot more kind of ambiguity. And I think a lot more consultation has to go into effective implementation of what you you do in the world. So let's let's open this up by talking about just you know from the standpoint of someone who's starting off a business. And this is a very open-ended question. So picture a, you know, someone is different. It could be anything, a services business, a manufacturing business, a retail, like what are the first couple of things they have to be aware of and look for when they're looking to protect themselves? It's a good question. I mean, it, it is an open-ended question. So any business obviously would have a plan before they even open the door. So insurance companies aren't really interested in writing business for people who don't have a plan, who don't have a vision, and don't have experience in the field they're in. So certainly, I'll take it that they have experience. So you know, really, I think the first thing is to find a broker who has the knowledge in order to represent your business to the insurance industry. And I mean that very sincerely is that there's many brokers out there who do not spend the time and effort to get to fully understand the customer and what they do and how they do it. And it's very important to present that to a company to get the proper pricing and coverage. So our job is to really listen, to listen to you and fully understand your business. And again, that may sound like a logical comment, but many people don't listen and they don't really understand the business they're trying to place. So our job and my job in particular is to really understand what keeps you awake at night. And if I can pass that risk off to an insurance company, I will do that. Excellent. So similar problem in our industry to some degree, I'm guessing given that some brokers are not brokers, they're agents, yeah. you know, maybe they don't have every solution that that client maybe needs, right? And to a man with a hammer, everything's a nail. So therefore, maybe you're thinking you're taking care of properly, but really you're not. Is that a common or hopefully not too common scenario uh, run into the industry? I think for most businesses, the insurance companies have come up with packages that cover off most things that you need. So like in your business, there's a cookie cutter type solution to most things. I don't like a cookie cutter solution because I feel that something's going to fall between the cracks on that. So often 
when we look at a business, we want to look at what's your primary asset. So in most businesses, if you cut through what the business is, there's property. There's an asset that you have to insure, either for a bank or for your own protection. It's your livelihood. That's probably the most, the first thing that we look at. What's your property? Do you own the building, the contents, the equipment, the stock? What is it that you have? And we tailor a policy around that. The second thing that I think is is one of the things that's under un, misunderstood is business interruption. In other words, if I have a store and I have a small flood or a fire and I can't open the doors, I have all kinds of continuing expenses that I need to pay in order for me as the owner to stay in business. Heat, light, rent, contractual, key employees, for instance. These are all things that don't go away because you can't operate. So we focus a lot on the business interruption side. We've got some large manufacturers with a machine. If you can't use that machine, you're out of business. So how do you get enough income in to do that? So we certainly, that's a, a focus of some of the discussion. Liability insurance. I mean, if you bring someone in your store, they slip and fall, they eat something in your restaurant that causes them to get sick. Anything that happens to a person where you're legally liable, cover under the liability portion of the policies. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, at the end of the day, you know, it's funny. I think about how many things that can go wrong in any given business, even if you're conducting things properly, right? Someone doesn't read a menu, right? And they eat something they're allergic to. You're mopping the floor and they, you know, no one, someone didn't pay attention to a sign. The number of ways that you can put your financial life in jeopardy because of that is enormous. And we're not talking about small settlements here. We're talking about very sizable and, and very sizable losses. No, you're, you're right. In the industry, the, the average claim costs have, in the last 10 years have gone through the roof, whether that be influenced by some of the U.S., which has a very litigious society, or whether it's just the courts being more generous. I mean, you can have a slip and fall outside your store. It used to be the average of $2,500 to settle. I mean, now you're into $25,000. And you know, again, the liability policy is there very clearly to defend you against actions that you're not negligent for or negligent for. And the defense part is the big part. Hiring a lawyer to defend you through a court lawsuit is extremely expensive. So it gets into understanding that's the risk the insurance companies want to understand and want to underwrite. So that's why, again, I'll go back to my first statement, understanding your business. What are the risks? How can I explain them to an insurance company to get the proper package? And then counsel you on how you can mitigate those risks so that you don't face those lawsuits or that fire or flood. You know, it's an important thing. I want to go back to what you said about the defense and how important that is. And you think about the scenario someone's in with or without insurance, right? Without insurance, they want to defend themselves when something they see as frivolous. It's on them to do so. Right. The insurance company sees it as frivolous. It's on the insurance company to do so. And frankly, as you said, lawsuits lawsuits can get very, very expensive very, very quickly. So right. it's it's not just knowing that, never mind if something goes wrong, you're protected. But if something goes right and someone claims it went wrong, you're protected. Yeah. And it's not up to you to basically prove it otherwise. Right. And, in, you, know, you get a notice to claim, you turn it over to the insurance company and it's up to them to file a defense, to take a statement and then and run with it from there. So there's no one or two or three, which is the most important, but certainly protecting your asset, getting income in case you can't operate, protecting your liability. I mean, there's an awful lot of other emerging ones. They're saying 45% of all businesses have been hacked uh, by a cyber crime. Wow. So 45%. Huge amount. Phishing expeditions. And I mean, the phishing is sending those mm-hmm. emails out. I mean, we're selling more cyber insurance than we've ever sold before, because right now, protecting someone's asset, which is data, is utmost important. So, you know, we're seeing a lot more cyber claims, large cyber claims, 
stealing of data, freezing of people's accounts, ransomware. I mean, these are all things that businesses need to analyze. Is that worth offloading that risk onto an insurance company? Or do I want to maintain that risk myself? And how would I handle that in the event that I keep that to myself? Well, I mean, good luck to them if they decide to keep it to themselves, because I mean, the honest truth is, I mean, we've seen the scale of some of these things, entire hospitals having their databases encrypted and held out for, you know, extorted for Bitcoin. It is frightening out there. And I think it's, I'm sure this is going to be a banner year for that sort of thing, given that everyone is working remotely these days and security at home tends to not be quite as good as security in offices. So Actually, uh, I just got asked by an insurance company, they, they, one of my contracts said, are you a home worker? Never been asked that question before. Really? Because obviously, if you're working at home and running your business, the security is much less generally in your home than it is when you're in a secure office environment. So this is where, I mean, the, the cyber insurance also allows you an opportunity to check your security by filling out the applications. The insurance company is mm-hmm. underwriting you know, your ability to keep your data safe and your privacy of your customers safe. So it's an interesting avenue. I always would ask people to ask their broker for a quote. And then they can decide whether it's worth buying or not. Well, I'll, I'll endorse it. I mean, especially <laughs> in my industry where so much personal confidential information is held. I will say this amusing. When I when um, I submitted my questionnaire to you guys, I don't think anyone knew what to do with me. There was already, <laughs> there was already so many security protocols and systems yeah. in place. It was like, well, okay, lower, lower probability still. Nevertheless, even with that, people can get around anything. With and that, that brings me, Jason, if I might jump around to another point, is if, if you as a client, uh, don't buy things like directors and officers insurance. If you're a yep. public company or a private company with directors, if you choose not to buy certain coverages and as an officer or a director of a company, you can then be found liable for what we call sort of boardroom malpractice. So mm-hmm. it just moves into another area that in mm-hmm. talking again to your broker, do you have directors and officers? You don't have to be a public company to buy that. And what's the risks that you guys bring on, including things like uh, wrongful dismissal claims. I mean, these are all covered by that director's and officer's insurance. Interesting. I wasn't aware about that last piece. Yeah. But uh, I was also not aware that this is interesting, that the boardroom malpractice, that if you don't carry directors and officers and you are in a, you know, not even a publicly traded corporation, but a corporation whereby they're, they're, that, that, owner, that onus is put on you, that you're technically in violation of the law there? Is that the case? Well, no, I, I think the people carry that to protect them for a number of things. Employment practices, which is a wrongful dismissal. If you're in a company where, let's say you're in a company that deals with maybe some hazardous products and you decide not to buy environmental insurance, so environmental cleanup insurance, if you decide not to buy that and you get a large lawsuit against the company and they don't have environmental cleanup insurance, then the board of directors could be found liable for uh, not putting that insurance in place, thereby affecting the stock Mm -hmm. price and the value of the company. Well, that makes sense. I mean, at the end of the day, they're supposed to be stewards of the company. And if they fail to do so, then there is liability there. Look at the hospitals now where they're firing the CEO for travel and getting sued for wrongful termination. That would be a director's and officer's coverage. Interesting. So we talked a lot about like the property, right? We talked a lot about that. Talk to me about you know, things were, or that are knowledge-based. So how does the insurance world differ when someone is primarily in, say, a knowledge-based service company? Well, you know, I mean, there's different risks in that, right? So they're, they become less a liability risk and a property risk because it's an office exposure. So the prices tend to come down. They just underwrite what's the same type of criteria. Usually it's just the premium is, is less. 
because mm-hmm. the exposure is less from a property standpoint. Now, if you're a professional, if you're an independent accountant, or if you're a, a lawyer or a dentist, or you carry malpractice insurance, so that carries a different price because that's more of a knowledge-based or service-based industry like financial planning. So it's just it's just a different risk. You might carry professional liability like you would carry, you might carry or like I would carry, but really there's nothing else out of the ordinary. So property, business interruption, cyber, directors and officers, but your risk is just different. And so you might fill the void by having a professional liability policy. Yeah, or rightly so, especially given, you know, I think it's a very basic corollary to manufacturing, right? Manufacturing produces something and there's insurance to protect them in case of the, you know, that something doesn't perform the way it's supposed to or breaks and hurts someone yep. because it was a mouth because it wasn't done properly. Just like the professionals, if we give the wrong advice or we're negligent and give well, it's not he's negligent, but if we get the wrong advice, then frankly there's liability there as well that we have to protect ourselves from. So it's just the output is different. Therefore the insurance has to basically has to basically uh-huh. match it. Yeah, the packages are similar. It's just like in a professional world, having insurance for liability for a slip and fall when you're in a, a, you know, an office tower doesn't necessarily make so much sense. But having professional liability that covers your professional advice makes perfect sense. Now, one of the things that's been in the media more recently, especially because everybody dealing with COVID and the gig economy, has been the use of what is basically people conducting business from, say, home without disclosing that to the insurance companies, or also conducting business with their cars, say, for Uber Eats or whatever else, without disclosing that to their companies. And you hear news from time to time of people getting sued and claims being denied because it wasn't disclosed. Can you speak to basically what the risk is there and what the outcome is of basically disclosing that? Often people are just like, oh, it's going to cost me more. Yeah. Well, costing you more is better than losing a lot of money. Yeah, it's a good point. And I I think one thing COVID-19 and the pandemic has done is made the insurance companies wake up a little bit and be a little bit more flexible. So addressing a home office, for instance, I mean, where in the past, if you had a home office, they would some companies say, well, I don't write home offices. There's a big risk there that I don't want to associate with a dwelling. Well, under the pandemic, the insurance companies have relaxed that quite a bit, saying if you have a home office, as long as you're not doing things in your home that you're not supposed to do that's a, a proper business. You're just working like you are from home. Using a car for Uber Eats, they sort of joined the present day by saying, we understand that people you know, need permission to use their vehicle for work. And so most companies have now jumped on that wagon and they, they allow that. Some companies were the leading, leading the way in that where they sort of change the wording that says you're allowed to use your vehicle for profit and hire. I mean, the same with skipping around, like home group homeschooling sessions that people started to get into where I'll huddle with five families and I'll homeschool. The insurance companies didn't really like that too much, but understanding that people were bringing people in to that, people using their cars to drive groups around, people around maybe that didn't have vehicles and need to go to appointments or so on. So I'm not too worried about that anymore. I mean, you can check with your broker, but most insurance companies are pretty flexible with home offices now. And I think in the future, they're going to have to be more flexible because I think this is going to be somewhat of a new normal with this hybrid model of offices and homes. Largely agree. It also seems like the notion was antiquated previously, right? Like I think that, you know, when I guess when they were hearing home office, they were thinking like, oh, you're conducting all your business out of an office, meeting people, all this other stuff. Like I get there's a difference between running a full operation with multiple staff in a home, quote unquote, home office versus, you know, the conversation I'm having right now where I'm 
basically in my little office. And besides the pandemic, I just generally don't meet clients in my home. Right? Yeah. So how is that risk any worse than the risk of my of my normal home exposure, right? It doesn't seem like it's it's much there. And then the, uh, I'm interested, it's interesting to hear that about the cars though. Is that resulting in any kind of premium changes or to take on that additional risk or are they just accepting it? Well, the, the not really. They're accepting it for the most part. For the pandemic, the auto insurance rates were going up dramatically, 8 to 15% every year. Mm. With people not driving as much, obviously claims came down. The insurance companies were somewhat forced to give rebates back to people who weren't driving as much. And I think the claims ratios and loss ratios in auto insurance have dramatically reduced. And so I think you're seeing more flexibility on the auto. I mean, the auto's going to continue to change. I mean, you're getting people who are introducing drive-by the kilometer now. You got Usage base where you're using your phone to monitor your driving habits. In turn, the insurance company monitors that, and you save money. I mean, it's it's interesting. I was gonna it kind of you went to a place that I was gonna go to with home delivery of the food stuff. I mean, one would think that when this first came out, it was new, but now it's been long enough that they probably have data on this on how frequently they're seeing these accidents and maybe realize the price was immaterial. But further to your point there about how the industry continues to evolve with like using phones for tracking or those plug-in devices into your car to track your driving. Yeah, I mean, it's it's technology's come to the insurance industry, uh, which has always been a laggard, but the idea, it makes sense. If you can disclose data and prove that you are a low risk, then you should be entitled to lower risk premiums. And that's why the pay as you go kind of thing, I think is almost the future. It's not, it's here with a few companies, but not, not a lot. But, you know, look at if you're driving a hundred kilometers a month, you shouldn't have to pay for if you're driving a thousand kilometers a month. I think we'll see once the economy, and I'm, I'm pretty positive the economy will turn around quickly, then driving habits resume. I think you'll see the premiums start to go creep back up and the claims. Right now, the claims seem to be larger claims on auto, but less frequent claims. Uh, To be honest, I think people are driving faster. I think people have forgotten how to drive for the most part. So I think you're seeing larger claims, but less frequent claims. So I think the insurance companies love data and they love to study data. And that is where they decide what premiums are going to charge. And that's, again, why as a broker, I get to deal with 50 insurance companies I certainly have the ability to compare prices, see who offers different things, and offer people different solutions than they would get from other people. Excellent. Yeah. Now, we may have to talk about the drive by the kilometer thing, given the amount of driving I'm doing these days. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) It's funny, the entire comment you made there about people driving faster, probably because there's fewer people on the road, and there's an old economic concept of consuming the marginal improvement, right? And that's what they've done. They've taken away, they could drive safer with fewer cars on the road, but no, they've taken away, people opt to take away that performance improvement. So So, uh, is there any other form of insurance that you think is, you know, maybe it's even esoteric or or bizarre that we should cover? I mean, uh, I'll throw this out there, perhaps, you know, one of the things we don't necessarily talk about enough with clients is, you know, their high value, their high value goods that they have in their own home, artwork, yeah. things like that. You know, yeah, we, we write a lot of what we, we classify as private clients. So these are clients that, you know, have homes that are excessive, a couple of million dollars, larger assets, jewelries, jewelry collections, art collections. I mean, certainly those are all things that need special attention. You need a lot of details with regard to what your art collection is, valuations, appraisals, and jewelry. There's a lot of different options on that. There's specialty insurance companies that do, we consider these private clients. And I think the thing they bring to the table more than just generally offering coverage for jewelry or art or home or fancy, fancy cars is their claim service is different. I mean, it's how you treat those people is a lot different. They're not one to call up and 
you know, nickel and dime people on a, on a claim. If they have a claim, they lose an earring that's worth $10,000. They want an earring that's worth $10,000. They don't want to have you negotiate with them. So certainly we're very familiar in that space. I mean, that space takes probably as much work to do as larger commercial accounts. Really understanding, and I go back to the beginning, listening and understanding your client. What are their concerns? What's their worries? Liability becomes a big thing for people. A lot of these individuals have cottages or they have homes in the United States. I mean, trying to figure out how to place those. What limit of liability do they take? They open themselves up to litigation probably more often than you or I would with the cottages, with the boats, with fancy cars. So I think we recommend certainly people carry over $5 million that are in that kind of uh, level business. But you know, you're right, certainly home, auto, insuring fancy cars. I mean, we had a car call us up with a car that was worth $3 million. I mean, how do you, what value do you put on that? How often do you drive it? Where's it parked? Where's it stored? What protection does it have? Some people have some pretty special needs. That's, uh, yeah, I can't imagine the security I would feel the need to put in place on a $3 million car. That's right. right. Exactly. Like, <laughs> what what the security other- do I have? I got two guys with guns standing outside of it at all times. <laughs> exactly. How about that? You got a $3 million like, car. I think you could probably have two guys with guns, maybe. Yeah, exactly. Like um, one time. of the other areas uh, I'd probably skipped over from a business standpoint is crime insurance. I mean, certainly... Mm. You can buy crime insurance. You can buy a whole. How's that one work? How's that? I'm not familiar with that one. Well, you know, if someone, you know, crime forms into different places. If there's crime where someone comes in to hold you up, there's crime where someone goes and steals your money from your premises. If you keep a certain amount of money and stocks and bonds or gold there, there's employee theft. You know, when the economy takes downturns, sometimes there is an increase in, in employee theft. So you can protect yourself against any type of crime, which is, and also sort of the online crimes. You know, an interesting one is called social engineering. I don't know if you've heard that term before, but social engineering is like voluntary parting of money, which has never been covered before. So when someone sends you that email that says, hi, I'm Jason Pereira, and and please send me that thousand dollars. I need it right away. And it's not you. And you part with that thousand dollars, you know, that you can buy under a social engineering policy. I mean, unfortunately, the expeditions and fishing of criminals is taken on a life of its own. And there's more and more people out there trying to steal your money any way they can. And we've seen this firsthand with many clients who have actually parted ways with large sums of money where the CEO of the company sends it to the finance person that says, you know, I'm buying this car, I need this now. And it might be in keeping with their personality and they send that money. So that's something that's fairly new and not written by most guys, but social engineering is one. The crime is one. Boiler machinery. We didn't talk about that. Every business is the boiler, the machinery, pressure vessels, electrical panels, air conditioning, heating, all has to be insured part of your property uh, program. Well, so really the bottom line is anywhere there's a risk, <laughs> there's a product to take care of it. Essentially. Yeah. And that's, that's where you need a broker who listens. I mean, and I, again, it's, yeah. I can't stress enough is if a broker just comes in and calls you and says, you know, what do you do? Well, I'm a manufacturer of widgets. Okay, here's your quote for $10,000. Yeah. They've got to really understand your business to put a product. There's a lot of products out there and uh, you really got to understand it and, and fill the loopholes where you can. There's some you can't, but for the most part, you can for everything. Excellent. Well, Paul, I thank you for your time in this education. I mean, it's uh, it's an area I'm not very familiar with, so I was glad to have someone come in. Where can people find you? Uh, they can find me at uh, paul at krg.com or call KRG Insure, 416-520-7814. It's my cell number. They reach me anytime they want. 
giving out your cell number on the podcast. It's a bold step. All right. Oh, Excellent. you don't want my cell number. You want my other number. You can have it. 416-631-3419. That's my direct line. It also rings to my cell, I hate to tell you. And, uh, you know, certainly happy to answer anyone's questions and try and help anyone with any solutions they need for their insurance. Fantastic. Paul, thank you so much. You're welcome, Jason. So that was my interview with Paul Martin of KRG Insurance. I hope you enjoyed that. And I hope that helped inform you as to the number of things you can protect yourself with. And if you're one of these people who heard some of this and thought, oh my goodness, I don't have that. I sincerely hope you give Paul a call because frankly, um, every business is special. Every business is different. And if someone has to take the time to understand the risk to your business, that's just a liability. As always, if you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever is at your podcast. Until next time, take care. This podcast was brought to you by Woodgate Financial, an award-winning financial planning firm catering to high net worth individuals, business owners, and their families. To learn more, go to woodgate.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, and Spotify, or find more episodes at jasonperera.ca. You can even ask Surrey, Alexa, or Google Home to subscribe for you.